0: You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit EBFChurch.org.
1: This morning's scripture reading comes from Colossians 1 3 through 14. If you would, grab your Bible or your device and open up and read along with me. Colossians 1, 3-14 We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, EBF Church family.
0: It's a joy and a privilege to be bringing you the word this morning. Uh, Emily and I, along with our three girls, just greatly miss gathering with you all physically uh, to worship corporately. And we're, we're eagerly anticipating the day that we can be reunited and express our bond of affection in person. In the meantime, we're blessed to have this means to gather virtually, and I'd like to start off this time in the Word uh, in prayer. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do look to you this morning for the wisdom and discernment that we need to hear from you and your Word. Open our eyes, give us soft hearts to be attentive to what your Word has for us, And do the good work in us of making us more and more like Christ through it. We thank you for your grace to us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to begin today's sermon with a confession. I'm not the best gardener. In fact, I'm not even a halfway decent gardener. I came to realize this the first time in my adult life when I lived in a home that had a yard. Uh, When I learned a lot about what it takes to ensure that plants and trees that you have are able to survive, if not thrive. For instance, I learned that some plants are very sensitive to the amount of light and water they receive. Forgetting to water one plant or leaving a potted plant in full sun for a little too long led to some premature plant funerals. But alongside of that, I also learned that there were other plants in our yard that I couldn't kill if we tried. These are the plants, of course, that I was the most proud of. But there was one tree in our yard that was particularly instructive to me. It was a fruit tree. And when we moved in, we tried, under the impression that it was a lemon tree, to make lemonade. Well, we were in for a rude awakening. It was about the most disgusting batch of lemonade you've ever had. Turns out it was a sour orange tree. And I don't recommend you try to make lemonade out of those. But where I'm going with all this is to say I've seen up close and personal the power of agricultural images that are used in Scripture to talk about spiritual things. I've been able to see the wisdom of Jesus when he says that a good tree will bear good fruit and a bad tree will bear bad fruit and by their fruit you will know them. As we'll see today, Paul draws on the long tradition of agricultural images in the Scriptures to instruct the Colossian church and instruct us About spiritual realities. He writes to them and to us about a fruitful gospel. You see, Paul is writing in part to reassure the Colossians that they have heard and received the full gospel message. He's writing to reassure them that Christ alone is supreme and sufficient for them and for their salvation. And he's writing to reassure them that they are bearing fruit, which only comes from the gospel message taking deeper and deeper root in our lives. In fact, what we're going to see in this passage today is that in the past, the present, and the future, the fruit of the Christian life is rooted in the gospel. I want to say that again. In the past, the present, and the future, the fruit of the Christian life is rooted in the gospel. And we're going to see that today first by looking at Paul's thanksgiving for past fruit in verses 3 to 8, and then at Paul's prayer for present and future fruit in verses 9 to 14 of our passage. So let's begin by looking at Paul's thanksgiving for the past fruit of the Colossian church in verses 3 to 8. First, we'll see the specific fruit that Paul identifies in verses 3 to 5a. Look again with me at those verses. It says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So we see immediately that Paul is thankful for something as he's writing to this church. When Paul prays for this church, he's always filled with thanks to God for them. But what specifically is Paul thankful for here? It's the fruit of that classic Christian triad, faith, love, and hope. You see, Paul had heard from the man Epaphras that we see in verse 7, a good report of the church in Colossae. He had heard of their strong faith or trust in Jesus Christ, of the astounding love that they had for all the saints, and of the enduring hope that they had as a body. Many of us can't hear this language and the familiar combination of faith, hope, and love without thinking of other parts of Scripture where these summary qualities of the Christian faith emerge. In time, these three qualities became known as the the Christian virtues, alongside of the four cardinal virtues of prudence, justice, temperance, and courage. And that was largely because they were kind of master categories that Paul used to summarize the fruit of the entire Christian life, a, a shorter version of the fruit of the Spirit. So, for instance, in 1 Thessalonians 1.3, he says, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. But, of course, many of us have heard at weddings, especially 1 Corinthians 13.13, 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. This verse uh, has has often led us to see love as the central virtue, and and certainly it is. It's hard to argue against love being preeminent when we know that God himself is love. But here in our passage, did you notice that the Colossians have faith in Jesus Christ and love for the saints because of the hope laid up for them in heaven? The NIV makes it even more explicit by translating verse 5 as the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. Did you see that Paul is saying here that hope is the fount from which the faith and love of believers flows? That certainly makes me think that hope is more than just the, the lowly Christian virtue that tags along behind his older brother, Love. The gospel is a message, yes, of faith and love, but also of hope, tremendous hope, in a future grace that is yet unseen but enables us to live lives of faith in Christ and love of God, our church family, and our neighbors in the community. And just to be clear, this this isn't the kind of hope that people talk about when they hope that their team will win the Super Bowl, or they hope it doesn't rain today, or they, they hope to win the lottery. It's not like wishing upon a star, completely unfounded. In fact, in this text, the hope Paul refers to here isn't the act of hoping at all. It's the substance of hope that's stored up for believers in heaven. See, there's no doubt that believers in Christ will receive what's been promised to them, their inheritance as the people of God, ours by grace alone. The substance of a believer's hope in Christ and his or her future vindication is as solid as it could be. There's more that we could say, but that's the fruit of this passage, the past faith, love, and hope the church has exhibited. But where does that fruit come from? This is where we see Paul apply the agricultural image and show that the root of that fruit is gospel growth, seen in verses 5b to 8. Look back at the text, picking up again in the middle of verse 5. It says, of this, that is the hope that he's just spoken of, you have heard This past fruit that Paul is so incredibly thankful for has come about and lasted because it's rooted in the gospel message that the Colossians had indeed received. Specifically, Paul says they heard the word of truth, which is the gospel, the message that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. And by God's grace, that glorious good news wasn't just heard, it was embraced for what it really was. The word of truth about the world, about us, and about the God who made it all and sought to redeem it all through the work of His Son. And because this message of grace and truth and love was embraced, it began bearing fruit in their lives. The agricultural realities and images kick into high gear here. The fruit of love and faith and hope stemmed from the root of gospel growth that started spreading like wildfire or like an absolutely relentless vine. What's amazing is that the gospel growth that's in view here is both a growth that comes in the lives of those who embrace it, as well as a growth throughout all the world as the message spreads and spreads like seed blown in the wind. Look again at verse 6. Paul says the gospel is growing and spreading and bearing fruit all over the world. Now, that's an amazing statement, given that it was made just over midway through the first century. Think about how much more the gospel has spread all over the world since the apostles conducted missions in the Roman Empire. Think about all the peoples who have since then received the gospel message. Think about all the lands unknown to the apostles, like our own, that the gospel has come to. The point is that Christianity is no provincial movement. It is proven that it is not a flavor of the month, destined to die out as it grows old and out of fashion. No, the gospel, Paul says, is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. And we can look out and see this very reality at play today, right now. You know, living in Evanston, as my wife and I have done for the past five years, it can be a difficult place to be encouraged as a Christian sometimes because, honestly, we don't necessarily see a lot of people receiving and believing the gospel for the first time. We see some, but not a lot. And in many parts of our country and many parts of Western Europe where Christianity was once so strong and so deeply rooted, we can't help but be deflated when we see vast segments of these societies leaving Christian faith behind for New Age religion or godless secular values. But church, did you know that globally speaking, there has never been a more fruitful season of gospel growth than is happening right now? Did you know that in parts of South America, and Africa, and Asia, there are more and more people coming to Christ, more and more churches planted, more and more people hearing and believing the gospel than ever before in the history of the church. If we just look at the West and our own particular community, we might be tempted to discouragement. But when we lift our eyes to what the Spirit of God is doing around the world, we can see, as the church never has before, that what Paul is saying here is absolutely true. The gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. And there is nothing, nothing that can stop its God-ordained fruitfulness. I mean, this should be incredibly encouraging for us, church. It should be an incredible encouragement to us to know that where the gospel goes, there will be fruit and there will be growth because that is God's design. The more the gospel seeps into our hearts and lives, the more we can expect to grow and bear fruit for Christ. As the gospel goes forward into our community and state and nation and world, it will bear fruit as God has seen fit. It's a force analogous to the laws of nature. The power of the gospel will be at work in the world. Now, this isn't saying it's going to bear fruit exactly in the way we would expect it to or in the lives of those we might hope it would. There is a mystery at work as the gospel goes forth and God sovereignly calls a people unto himself. But God has ordained that the gospel would bear fruit as it takes root in our lives and our world, and we can take that to the bank, EBF. As if Paul's adamant stance wasn't enough to convince the Colossians and us, he quickly asks us to examine Exhibit A of gospel fruit. The Colossians themselves. That's what's going on in verses 7 to 8. Paul reminds the church that they learned this message of hope and truth and grace from a man named Epaphras, and that from the day they heard the gospel message from him, it's been growing and bearing fruit in their lives ever since. How did the gospel message come to Colossae? How did they learn about the grace of God towards sinners in Christ? Well, it's an amazing story of gospel growth. You see, what likely happened was that on Paul's third missionary journey, he had a longer stay in the city of Ephesus that we've been learning about recently. While he was there, a man from Colossae named Epaphras came to Ephesus and heard Paul preaching about the grace of God. And wouldn't you know it, he believed the good news, became a believer, and began growing in Christ. Well, Paul, knowing that Ephesus wasn't Epaphras' home, sent him back to Colossae, armed with the good news and a commission to proclaim that good news in Colossae, a city that Paul had likely never been to. And again, as Epaphras took the good news there and proclaimed it, it began growing and bearing fruit. People believed and placed their faith in Christ. And all of a sudden, the church in Colossae was born. Essentially, what we get to look in on by reading the letter of Colossians is one of the many church planting endeavors that Paul helped to cultivate by God's grace. And in this letter written by Paul from Rome, while he is in chains, he writes to encourage this new church that the gospel message cannot be chained, but is growing and spreading. And Paul says that you will, the church at Colossae, you are the proof of that. In all this, Paul affirms Epaphras as a faithful minister of Christ, truly representing the apostolic message that Paul first preached to him back in Ephesus. Epaphras wasn't some superhuman. He was a man with struggles and doubts and fears just like you and me. Yet God determined in his sovereign wisdom to use this ordinary man to bring the most precious message imaginable to the town of Colossae. So church today, when we talk about reaching our community and even the nations with the gospel, we can do so not because of trusting in our own ministry savvy or strategic planning, but because of the incredible promise that the gospel will always bear fruit. It will. It's never a wasted ministry. It always achieves the purpose for which God sent it. And so as we grow in that aspect of being the church here in Evanston, let's take encouragement from knowing that this is true as much today as it was 2,000 years ago. The gospel is still advancing on a worldwide scale into every nook and cranny of our hearts. And he's called us, all of us, to play some part in continuing to see the gospel bear fruit in our community and among the nations. So with Paul, let's give thanks for the fruit of the gospel that's already been born in our lives, in our church, and the community around us. And let's continue to pray that it would continue to bear fruit in the present and the future as God gives the growth. In fact, that's exactly what we find Paul doing in the next segment of the text, praying for present and future fruit among the Colossian church. Once again, we'll see a relationship between the fruit that Paul identifies and the root of the gospel message. Picking up the text again, let's read verses 9 to 12 to see what present and future fruit Paul desires to see in the church. It says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, I don't need to tell you that this text is so packed full of rich goodness that there's no way we're going to be able to address it all this morning. I encourage you to go back in your personal or family devotions this week and slow down and look at each piece of of gospel fruit that Paul sets forth here. But in short, I hope we can see that Paul unceasingly prays the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, verse 9, so that, as it says in verse 10, they might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The NIV has it as living lives worthy of the Lord. And I think that's a great summary of the fruit that Paul longs to see in the Colossians and, by extension, in us. Living worthy lives. Like faith, hope, and love, it's actually another summary category that Paul uses to sum up the whole of the life lived by faith. So, for instance, in Ephesians, after he's plumbed the theological depths of grace in the gospel in the first three chapters, as Pastor Tim is so wonderfully expounding for us right now, He says in chapter 4, verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. There, as in Colossians, it's a call to live the whole of one's life in light of grace. It's a call for the gospel to bear fruit, which results in a changed way of living. Now, I want to be clear here. This is not saying That you have to live a life worthy of the Lord in order to earn your salvation. The gospel doesn't say, clean up your act and you'll be saved. Rather, it says, you can't clean up your act, but God has graciously saved you despite that fact. The truth is, we can't live a worthy life, a life worthy of the Lord on our own. No one can the epitome of the fully righteous person, the person who can seem to do no wrong, whoever that might be in your mind, falls colossally short. That's why we all need grace, God's gift of salvation, to make us right with Him and to set us on the right path of following Christ and living a life that's pleasing to Him. Paul expects that this is happening for all true believers There is past fruitfulness to be thankful for, but present and future fruit will inevitably follow in a life that's been changed by grace. So what is some of that fruit that Paul expects to see in those who have accepted the gospel, who are beginning to live a life worthy of the Lord by God's grace and power? It starts in verse 9 with Paul asking that they be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He wants to see Christians growing in the areas of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, to believe right content, and to respond with right living. It certainly makes sense that the one who grows in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of a spiritual kind will be better able to live a life pleasing to the Lord, doesn't it? After all, the one who knows the Lord and his ways in the world better and better will inevitably be able to walk in a way that pleases the Lord who created it all. And here we should say, this is far from the idea of just information download leading automatically to growth in godliness. In other words, this passage is not teaching that just because you've studied a lot of theology and can win at Bible trivia, that it necessarily means you are growing in Christ-likeness. Because, see, the knowledge that Paul talks about here is not abstract philosophical principles. It's knowledge of a person and his will for us. A relational knowledge brought about in the gospel that spreads into every area of our being. After all, this is a spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in us. Not something we can make happen the more Bible verses we memorize or the more people we impress with our knowledge of systematic theology. Don't get me wrong. Attentive study of God and what he's revealed in his word is a wonderful thing. It's a precious thing. It's the very reason I'm back at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School for another degree. And yet, we've missed something crucial if we don't see from this text that the goal of acquiring knowledge and wisdom and understanding is greater growth in the gospel. Learning to walk in a way that's more and more and more Christ-like. It's important to see that in verse 11, Paul acknowledges that this growth in living a worthy life requires a power that we don't have. If we weren't already convinced that we're not just going to automatically grow in grace by reading a book, listening to a sermon, or participating in a church service project, this should finish the job. Paul wants us to be reminded, you can't make this happen. It's not the kind of thing you can just add to your New Year's resolutions and pull yourself up by the bootstraps to get done. Get to the gym more and become more like Christ. No. This is why Paul prays and why we should pray. Paul knows, as is clear in verse 11, that we need a power outside of ourselves. We need to be strengthened by the one who has infinite power strengthened by the very spirit that lives within us to be able to grow and bear fruit in all the ways we have rehearsed in this passage. Specifically, Paul highlights endurance and patience as the fruit that this divine power brings about within us, both of which are exhibited with a joy that's clearly more than a passing happiness with present circumstances. The Christian can have joy in the face of any situation because ultimately we know that we're fully cared for in all the ways that we need in Christ. It's the power and joy of the Spirit in us that enables us to endure hard days and be patient with hard people. I love the way one commentator put it when he said of verse 11, endurance is what faith, hope, and love bring to an apparently impossible situation. Patience is is what they show to an apparently impossible person. So true. And if you are like me, you know that exercising endurance and patience with joy is not exactly something that happens naturally for us. My three daughters have given me the gift of realizing this time and time again. I need the Spirit's help to exercise endurance and patience with joy when my three-year-old comes out of her bedroom for the fifth time and I'm just wanting a moment to wind down from the day. That's a small thing, but it, it helps me to remember he is faithful to give me the endurance and patience I need in that moment. And I need to call out to him for it, not rely on my own strength when that energy is gone. Lastly, notice that Paul's list of fruit ends in verse 12 with a word about thanksgiving. Even in the midst of difficult circumstances, like, I don't know, a months-long global pandemic... We're called to give thanks to the Father. Why? Because again, as verse 12 goes on to say, our biggest needs and desires are already more than satisfied in Christ. Paul reminds us at the end of this list that in the gospel, God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. That's the hope he was speaking of earlier. And it's promised to those who have placed their faith in Christ. So in the midst of such an amazing blessing, which we've done nothing whatsoever to deserve, how can we not live lives of thanksgiving? In fact, I think COVID-19 provides a wonderful opportunity for gospel witness on exactly this front. I don't know if you've seen, but there are a lot, and I mean a lot, of memes going around about how rotten 2020 has been as a year, how horrific it's been. You can Google them if you like. I just ask that you wait until after the service to do so. And of course, I get it. 2020 has been a rough year for basically every person around the globe. But it provides the church a wonderful opportunity to be a shining light in a dark place by intentionally choosing by the Spirit's power not to complain or grumble, but instead to look for every opportunity to give thanks. Wouldn't that stand out at the albeit virtual New Year's Eve parties this year? Christians being weird in a good way for once, for the way they express gratitude amidst the difficulties of a global pandemic. That would stand out. It's gratitude that closes out this list of fruit that we should expect to find in the life of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. And with that, uh, closure, I want to encourage each of us not to just let this list pass us by today. Occasionally, we in, encounter passages in Scripture that serve as a great self-diagnostic, and I think this is one of them. If this is a list of fruit that Paul expects to find in the lives of those who have been changed by grace, then it begs the question, what of the fruit he mentioned is missing or severely stunted in my own life, and why? Why? Am I failing to grow in the knowledge of God and His will? Am I coming up short when it comes to spiritual wisdom and understanding? Am I struggling to bear the fruit of consistent good works done to God's glory rather than my own? Am I sensing a lack of spiritual power in my life? Are endurance and patience more occasional than characteristic? Am I finding that joy is not readily available? when times get tough and people in my life become difficult? Am I more thankless than thankful, especially amidst our current pandemic and the tumultuous end to an election year? I know those are tough questions, but it's God's will that we ask them of ourselves, that we examine the fruit in our lives from time to time to prune and to fertilize as necessary. And do you know why we can ask the tough questions and bear the tough answers? even allowing other people to help us see areas of fruitlessness and stunted growth it's because in Christ we've already been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light it's because our fruitlessness uh, excuse me our fruitfulness doesn't determine whether we're accepted but the inevitable result of being accepted and redeemed in Christ does and that's why i love the way this passage ends with one more reminder that the fruit of living worthy lives is going to stem from the root of our gospel identity in Christ. Look at verses 13 to 14 again. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Where is the power going to come from to live these worthy lives in a way that's so countercultural? And more than that, so against the inclination of our sinful hearts. The answer is that it's going to be found by asking again and again, what's the truest thing about me? And then answering again and again that I have been saved by the grace of God, delivered from the dominion of darkness, and made a citizen of Christ's kingdom because out of love he bought my redemption, the forgiveness of my sins when Paul lays out here at the end of the passage, is one of the most powerful expressions of the gospel in all of Scripture. And it's one that you and me can claim if we've trusted in Christ alone for salvation. In verse 12, Paul alludes to the fact that in Christ we've been adopted into the family of God. In verses 13 to 14, he uses dramatic language of a kingdom transfer, saying that those of us who have trusted Christ for salvation have been delivered from the oppressive kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. We've been redeemed, bought from the slavery to sin and death and the devil we once were in, and brought into a newfound freedom, the freedom that comes in knowing our sins are forgiven because Christ took our place. Church, this is so vitally important for us to remember. We are a redeemed people. We are a people who know It's what Christ has done for us in the gospel that's the basis, the root of all the various fruits that we will bear in our lives. Indeed, it is a fruitful gospel that we believe, a gospel that will continue to grow and bear fruit in our own hearts while spreading through the whole earth that every people, tribe, tongue, and nation might know. Like the people of this ancient town of Colossae came to know one day, that God has extended amazing grace to us in Christ. So let us, with the Colossian church, continually believe the gospel with all our hearts, that we may live lives of gospel fruitfulness, and that we might rejoice as God uses us to spread the seed of the gospel in our community and the ends of the earth. And let us, with the Apostle Paul, give thanks for the past fruit the gospel has borne and continue to pray for present and future fruit that only the gospel can bring about in our lives and in the world. In fact, let's pray for that together right now. Father, we do give you thanks for the way this passage so wonderfully, beautifully sets forth what you have done for us in Christ, the amazing grace that you have given us to adopt us into your family, to buy us, and redeem us from slavery to sin and death and to bring us into the kingdom of your beloved Son. Oh, what a wonderful truth. We give you thanks and praise for it today. We ask, Lord, that it would continue to do the work that you have intended it to do in our hearts, to bring about more and more fruitfulness in our lives, more and more walking in a Christ-like way, more and more living a life worthy of the calling you have given to us. And, Lord, we pray that we would continue to look to you as the one who enables gospel growth to happen in our community and all over the world. We praise you and we thank you for involving us in that work and do pray that you would be the one to empower us for that work that you might get the glory in it. We pray all these things in Christ's mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.